Welcome to Intuitive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Kirsten Ackerman. I'm a registered dietitian specializing in intuitive eating and health at every size. I'm also the founder of the Intuitive RD, a project that aims to provide weight-inclusive nutrition education through workshops, online courses, retreats, written content, and private counseling. Join me as we explore the foundations of the non-diet approach to health and wellness and chat with leading professionals in the field. Hey guys, welcome to episode 21 of Intuitive Bites. For the episode today, I'm talking with Jess Baker, who is also known as the, the Militant Baker, and she's the author of Land Whale and Things No One Will Tell Fat Girls. Um, you can find out a lot more about Jess below in the show notes, but basically she's an absolute rock star. Um, she's so awesome. And we chat a lot in this episode about just the journey to self-love and kind of body acceptance um, and kind of some of the things that can trip you up along that road. We talk about how it's really not something that has an endpoint, but really it's it's a journey. Um, and Jess has a lot of insight into that as well. Um, and then finally, towards the end of the episode, we really dig into um, kind of just fat politics and, um, you know, just the oppression that is um, all of this, this weight bias. So it's a really, really great episode. It's a great introduction to some of those fat politics concepts, if you haven't heard them before. Um, so I think you're really going to enjoy it. Before we dive into that episode, um, just my normal couple announcements here. Um, so I am hosting, co-hosting um, a retreat in Costa Rica in February 2019. So the dates are February 1st to the 8th. And you can find out more about the retreat if you go to my Instagram page. Um, you can find me at the intuitive underscore RD. Um, and you can find a lot more information about the teachings and things like that. But basically, it's going to be lots of yoga, um, intuitive eating, intuitive living, joyful movement, um, just kind of all of that good stuff wrapped up into uh, our seven days in Costa Rica. Um, and then even further than that, we're going to get to do lots of activities like surf lessons and, you know, going on hikes to find waterfalls. And we're going to take daily trips, uh, trips down to the, the beach. Um, all the food is, first of all, looks absolutely delicious and amazing, um, but it's also all included in the pricing. So if you're at all interested in this opportunity, reach out to me, ask me questions. I know that um, this can be kind of a leap for some people. It's, you know, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not super, you know, uh, it's not necessarily first on everyone's radar, but uh, it's going to be an awesome experience. I'm kind of taking this leap. So if you want to take it with me, um, reach out, send me a message on Instagram. You can also email me at the intuit or sorry, the, the intuitive RD at gmail.com. Um, so feel free to do that. I'm happy to answer any of your questions that you might have. Um, and finally, if you haven't already done this and you have a moment to spare, um, if you can rate uh, the podcast on iTunes, just click on the stars, you know, give it a rating that you think is appropriate or, you know, leave a couple sentence review for me on iTunes. That would also be greatly appreciated. Um, that is all I have for you right now. So let's go listen to my conversation with Jess Baker. Hi, Jess. Um, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast today. 
Oh, thanks for having me. My God. <laughs> Honored to be here. Oh, of course. Um, so I'm really, really excited to chat with you today. I have been following your work and, and reading your stuff. And, you know, for as long as I've been kind of in this space for the past year and a half or so, I've been seeing your name. So I'm honestly really honored to have you here. Um, <laughs> I would love, love to hear just kind of your background and, and how you got into this space. Um, you know, I've read a little bit about kind of what led you here, but I'd really love to hear your perspective on, on what got you here. Uh, yeah, well, like personally, like how did I end up in like body image yeah, that, or yes. professionally or what? I guess a little, I, I'd love to hear both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, personally, I was a, like a, a blogger about baking and like vintage kitchenware. Mm-hmm. Um, and that led me in, this was back when blogs were really cool and everyone uh, had one and lifestyle blogs were like all their age, which I think they still are, but now we're watching them through Instagram. Right. Um, it's really weird how that's changed, but blogs were cool. I was into it. Um, and I was, you know, going around and reading everything I could find. And I stumbled across this lifestyle blog that was written called the nearsighted owl. And it was written by Rochelle who lives in, uh, Portland. And it was everything I loved about lifestyle blogs particularly like it was she liked to thrift she had a purple beehive she wore vintage clothing like it was everything I loved and she was fat and it was um I found her at a point in my life where I was still very much in denial about my body um I was in a really really toxic emotionally abusive relationship um and her blog, watching her, it's it was so shocking to me. I remember sitting on the floor one night and finding her blog and just being like, I didn't even know how to process what I was looking at because she was fat and she was happy and um, had all the things that I wanted. She was like married and love. At that time, I felt like, you know, I was in a bad relationship. So I was like really craving that and all of these things. And I was, my mind was blown. And I had this like revolutionary moment in my life. It was the pivoting, it was the pivot point where I thought maybe I don't have to hate myself for the rest of my life. And looking back on that now, that actually makes, I'm saying this again for the millionth time, but I'm thinking right now, it makes me so sad that I was content to hate myself for the rest of my life. Like that seemed like an acceptable way to live. Um, And that blog changed everything because once I was like, oh my God, maybe I don't have to, you can't really, uh, you can't really go back from that. (laughs) So I just dove in, I dove in. There weren't a ton of blogs at the time. It was Tumblr um, that really changed my life and books. And I have been researching and reading and uh, connecting and learning ever since then. And then um, I have a background in mental health, which really helps. Uh, particularly in peer support, which do you know about like peer support specialists or no, anything? I'm not familiar with that at all. The very, very basic concept is they've done a lot of research. And so money talks even in places where it should not like recovery and mental health. <laughs> um, but research has shown that the best recovery results, quote unquote, come when there's someone who has been through it that uh, 
and they help the other person through their recovery. So kind of like, I mean, AA has sponsors, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So within mental health, they have people who have serious mental illness or mental illness. They've gone through recovery. And then there's this beautiful part where they train them uh, with the clinical knowledge and give them like the clinical knowledge to go work within the behavioral health agencies within the system. So they kind of become superheroes. And the reason I bring this up is simply because I think that working, so I'm, I'm, uh, I was a, um, peer support specialist for a very long time. Um, I still am. Um, I probably need to retake the uh, certification program, but, um, the reason I bring it up is because it takes this thing that is considered very negative, like a mental illness. Yeah. And then it turns it into a superpower. So lots of people who work within the behavioral health system, they can go to school, they can learn a lot of things, but you cannot learn what it's like to live with a mental illness until you've been through it. So it kind of takes that negative, very difficult lived experience that no one else has, turns it into a superpower. And I think I've taken that with me throughout this body image realm. I ended up with the platform that I have because I did an Abercrombie and Fitch photo shoot lookalike campaign and it went viral. And now I talk about loving your body and actually loving yourself and liberating your body. Uh, And I've written books about it and I lecture and I, yesterday I just hopped on a plane and went to Hollywood for the premiere of Dumplin', which is, a movie that just came out with Jennifer Aniston and Daniel McDonald. And it's about this plus size woman who's joins a beauty pageant. So life is charmed. That's what I do. That's how I got there. (laughs) That is so cool. And I didn't, yeah, yeah, like I, it makes so much sense that like your history with the peer support stuff kind of easily led into your work now. So I think that's really interesting. You know, I'm back working um, a few hours a week. I don't know, it changes one to three days a week at an agency currently the same one. And I'm just, I'm, as I'm like, you know, very much in the middle of, of being Jess Baker um, and my body image work and the correlation that I see the connection is so strong that now I feel, I'm like, how have I gone seven years without actually talking about how much working in behavioral health, focusing on strengths, turning things on their head, how that has affected my work in body image because it's so connected beyond the actual connection of our mind when it comes to our self-esteem and all of that. Oh yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how I got here. That was a really long kind of twisted <laughs> explanation, but all of those things combined, boom, here I am. Just here. <laughs> I love it. Talking um, about your body's cool just the way it is. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. I love it. Um, yeah, you know, I was, I'm looking at a couple of quotes that I'd written down just from your book and just like various things. Like I've heard, you know, your podcast, podcast, you've been on things like that. And I'm reading this one that I have written down, you know, you don't have to love your body in order to live your best life. Yeah. Um, I think that that is so interesting, especially because I think that a lot of the talk about body image and body positivity um, kind of ends up being centered around like, oh, like how can we focus all of our energy now on, on, you know, loving our body and kind of forcing ourselves into loving our body instead of, you know, um, dwelling on all the things we hate about it. So it's like this shift in in the type of energy, but it's still the same amount of energy kind of going into that. So I think that's really interesting how how you put that. Well, I think it's an obsession. And that's the energy you're talking about. And, And I'm not saying that like people, if you want to spend all of your time 
uh, loving your, like, learning to love your, like, I am not anti that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think it's necessary, and for a lot of people, I don't know if it's realistic, and it's not realistic for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I just wrote um, a book called Land Whale, and it's mostly memoir, but it's a lot of just my thoughts on some of these, like, really nuanced subjects, and I, I do write about this, where, you know, I think it's very natural when we leave like the diet culture world of like hating yourself obsessively. And then we find out, Oh my God, maybe, you know, I can't believe I've been lied to my whole life. Now I'm going to take all of that energy and put it into obsessively trying to love myself. And what I found is that for me, it didn't, it's a, it's a necessary learning curve. I'm just going to call it a learning curve. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to try it for a while and, and I think it's a huge improvement, obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I also found that I was doing the exact same thing because I was mad at myself when I had bad body days. Like it was like this other standard that I needed to achieve. And I think we kind of put that on ourselves and that a lot of this body love comes with this requirement that you eventually reach it. And then when you don't, you're failing at yet another thing and the whole point is that you've been lied to and you cannot fail so um I kind of only figured this out just by realizing that when I stopped trying to obsessively I just got tired I was so tired of like obsessively trying to love my body all the time and work through those bad days knowing that I was still working on that goal of ultimate love and the only reason I figured it's out is because I just got so tired of it that I stopped. And then when I stopped trying to love my body so hard, I hated it so much less. And that was such an, it was an accident. I didn't mean to figure that out. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, I think there's something to this where one, the body image movement that we're seeing, there's a million words for it, but it's not about loving your body actually. It's, it's turned into that superficially. I feel like that's kind of a, the first step that people take. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it is a hyper-political, revolutionary movement for civil rights, safety, and freedom um, for all bodies. And, and so there's all these, like, you know, these different stepping stones. We go from love to liberation to fat bodies and then we start talking about race and like it it continues that just continues to go and it is so radically political so it's not about loving your body at all or looking in the mirror and thinking that you're beautiful if that happens that's a great byproduct um but it really is about all bodies being safe and free um so liberation is the word i use now and that just feels a little more applicable to me it feels right Maybe it will change in the future. Don't know, but I I work on body liberation, mm-hmm. but I do believe in self love, and I feel like that self love is what really increases like resilience and uh, empathy, and it's like all of the things that we need to make this progress happen. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh, absolutely, yeah. Okay, I, I'm glad that you I'm glad that you described that because I think that you're right, and I think a lot of people that listen to my podcast are kind of on the beginning of this journey. You know, I do a lot of work with intuitive eating. I'm a dietitian, 
And I think that when people come to me, they're kind of like coming for off of dieting. They're like, I can't do this anymore. So they're kind of like dipping their toes in intuitive eating. But like, I mean, I know because it happened for me as well. Like, like you said, when you kind of start dipping your toes in these, these things, you find so much else kind of lying beneath the surface and you find this like social justice aspect that is really the core of what all of this kind of stemmed from. But I think that this conversation is important for the people that are new to this space because, you know, they might not realize kind of all this foundation is lying underneath. Well, I didn't realize. I, so, and I want to be really clear that they're like, (laughs) the first step is so important. And the second step is just as important. Like they're all important. And um, I'm still working on intuitive eating and learning how to reconnect my body and my brain so they communicate. And there's so much beauty found in that too. There's beauty in every step of the way. And everyone has their own opinion. I don't feel like those goals to love yourself to um, those like very beginner goals, like, okay, I left diet culture. Now what? Like, I, those have so much value to me as well. And they feel like, you know, we all start somewhere. I started there as well. Um, and you have to, there's no way to jump. You cannot, you can't jump. Uh, there's no jumping in this healing process. <laughs> you have to do the slow steps. And so I just want to like, I guess, let anyone who's listening know that wherever you are at is amazing and fine and beautiful. And it's this evolutionary process we have to go through and it builds on each other. And we, um, we can't really, he- we can't know what we don't know, what we don't know. And so we, we start one place and then we just start layering information and knowledge and experience and growth on top and it builds into this thing. And eventually you start to see, wow, you know, this is so much bigger than I thought. And that's, yeah. that's the space I live in. But I started, I started, you know, the body love. I'm going to fit into that beauty mold. I'm going to bust it open so that it fits my body too. And now my goals are very different. Um, but I still work on intuitive eating and that's actually where my fascination lies right now is that connection with food and movement um, and rebuilding it. Yeah. I think that's so interesting kind of what you're talking about here. Cause it's, it even relates to what you said of how we sometimes, a lot of times have this mindset of like, kind of like the, the end goal, right? Like, um, all of a sudden we find out about intuitive eating, we want to do it perfectly and be perfect at it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, and even with all this other stuff, I think people come into the space and they're overwhelmed by all of it and they want to just do it right and know all the stuff and do it all yeah. and never say anything wrong. And um, so I think it's so important that you're, you're kind of laying that out and saying like the process is where it's at, like the uncomfortable yeah. in between space where you're just taking one step at a time and not doing it perfectly like that's that's where the beauty is that's where life is um, very true you know and waiting for that end point um is just kind of always keeping you reaching for something instead of just like kind of really honestly being in the present moment and enjoying um and fully experiencing this part of your journey you know i think that we're so we're so conditioned to have an end point and that's so weird to me now but it's very normal in our culture um, diet culture follows this academia. If you go to school, there's, you know, we're so hyper-focused on these polarizing concepts, the beginning and the end, the good and the bad, all of this. The reality is that the healing happens in the gray. 
always. And honestly, there isn't an end point. <laughs> so that end point is something diet culture has taught us. We want to check boxes and be able to quantify our morality and ethics. And we want these like heart, like we want data about how good we are at something. But the reality is when you do that, when you are focused on outcomes, that's not the real hard work being done. That's kind of superficial work. You want more of an overarching, um, I'm not sure what to call it. If it's not an outcome, then maybe it's a, it's just more of a goal, I guess, mm -hmm. an objective. That, that's what we'll call it. Instead of outcomes, we want an objective. And that is very vague and overarching. And it just kind of spans the gray area. And so if we can kind of get out of that mindset of like racing to finish first as best, mm -hmm. knowing that we're going to be like when I started trying to intu intuitive eating, I know that a lot of times intuitive eating can turn into a diet, right? Mm -hmm. so we want that hard like checklist like look how good I did today right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I felt so lost because there wasn't a compass there wasn't a guide there wasn't a book to learning my body right. nobody has written a book on Jess Baker's body and her brain and so it's scary to feel lost when we're so used to having somebody else to follow but that really is where the magic happens so I'm really glad you brought that up because I really when it comes to recovery of any kind, whether it's with food or movement or um, mental illness, any kind of recovery, it's all the same in that there is no really end destination. There's just this journey that layers itself. And that is where the beauty is. And if you can find it while you're there, uh, life gets even better. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just talking about kind of when you're giving up those rules and like trying to do intuitive eating, not kind of through that diet lens like it's scary and uncomfortable and like you said there's no book on your own body and your own life experience but it, and it's also like it also makes me think of the fact that it's so liberating and so exciting and so like just freeing when you realize that but also still scary and also so sure. hard you know what I mean like yeah absolutely I definitely felt the like the overwhelming excitement it's like intoxicating mm -hmm. and then i went straight to like the holy shit this is absolutely like debilitating it's so terrifying and scary but once you kind of just sit with that that's another part of it sitting with the like the uncomfortable parts um you kind of get you kind of acclimate and you're like okay this is where i'm at right now let's see where this goes <laughs> Yes. No, I, no idea where I'll end up, but we're gonna try it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. I love that. Um, you know, I'm gonna shift gears a little bit because there's something that I Please. quoted you on from a podcast I heard you on. I can't even remember what it was, but I I wanted to talk to you about it so bad. So it you said something along the lines of like, you know, wellness culture is our new diet plan. Um, and you know, mm. I know other people have talked about this as well, but I'd love for you to kind of just speak to that because I think that it's it's an interesting concept, right? Like we're not living in the same diety world that we were 20 years ago or whatever. It's different. It's just marketed differently. Mm -hmm. uh, that's all. So it's across the decades uh, that across the decades, whenever empowerment is found, there's a new 
twist that happens with our marketing, with our advertising, with our culture that creates a new form of oppressing people. So um, like the, a very like basic example is uh, when women started the, that um, way, the wave of feminism where they were like liberated and not wearing bras and rejecting femininity in this really huge way, uh, second wave feminism, Vogue created the nude look to create nude. They were like, oh, you don't want the red lipsticks and like heavy feminine makeup. Cool. We have nude lipsticks and this new makeup trend that fits in with your aesthetic to continue to sell uh, femininity, but in a different way. And so um, what I have seen and what we are all seeing is this um, embracing of some very minimal amounts of plus size bodies, basically ones that look identical to uh, thinner bodies that are just larger versions of it on the runway with plus modeling. And with this empowerment, the shift that has happened is, okay, you can be, you don't have to be a size two, mm -hmm. but you have to be healthy. And health is very complicated. I know, you know, yeah. um, it's, it's a construct. It changes all the time. It has our standards of health. What health is defined as has changed forever. It has never been static. It has always been evolving. So it's kind of really odd to me that we, we really like grab onto one version of health as if it's something that's always been there because it hasn't and it will continue to change. It is changing. Mm -hmm. um, but we have taken health and used it against uh, empowered individuals as a way to keep them in line. Um, but it's so universally accepted that people don't realize that it's really just diet culture parading around uh, with a whole foods, just like a whole foods um, barcode on their app for Amazon. Like people don't even know, like it's, it's so common, but really this wellness culture, this, um, that's what I call it. Wellness yeah. culture, the yoga, the yoga pants, people wearing athleisure so that everyone knows that they are uh, participating. Like it's a performance that dates back to the Victorian times. Uh, there's a very fascinating article about how, you know, like yoga in the park and um, the activities that Victorians used to do to prove to society that they were doing what they were supposed to. It's still happening today. And so the problem with this is one, healthism, the belief that everyone owes their health to society is incredibly oppressive and horrific. Uh, we deeply believe that in the United States, uh, healthism is harmful and also not accessible. So when you make health the indicator of worth, you don't have to be a size two as long as you're healthy. You are excluding so many people who cannot fit into that model because of the life and the body they were born into. It has nothing to do with anything else. It's their life and their body they were born into. You know, people who have mental illness, people who have physical disabilities, people with chronic illness, people who were born into poverty, people who, you know, single mothers working a million jobs to feed their kids and it has to be frozen food and maybe they live in a food desert where they don't even have access to you know nutrition um yeah. all kinds of people i could go on and on yeah. who simply do not have the physical access 
to participate in this very whitewashed uh, form of diet culture. And it's scary to me because lately we've like up until this point, we've been able to calculate how much money goes into the diet industry, right? Weight loss. And now they've been so conflated for Weight Watchers is pretending they're wellness oriented. They're doing the exact same thing. And then just calling themselves wellness. I don't know how we're going to calculate like the billions of dollars that go into this performance of being healthy, quote unquote. Um, and so anyways, I feel like it's incredibly dangerous. It's insidious. It's inaccessible. And it really harms people. Um, what we see happen because of this, and I know your podcast is supposed to be short, but you invited me and I talk a lot. So, <laughs> so this oh, is great. Well. <laughs> this <is> great. <laughs> what happens is that, I mean, it's classist, it's racist, it's sizist, it's everything. It's ableist. It's ageist. And so we are really creating harmful, harmful, harmful situations where people don't have access to health care because of their weight. When they do have access to health care, um, say they're fat and they can actually afford insurance, it's more expensive. If they can still afford it and they go, they have biased treatment where there's so many stories of fat people. And this is just fat people. We're not even putting in race and disability and age and all of that into the mix, which makes it even worse. Fat people go into doctors and they go in for something very dangerous, like, oh, I don't know, cancer. And they are told to just follow a diet plan because treat weight first uh, is what people are told in the medical system. And we have classified obesity as a disease, which is so ridiculous and based purely on profit. And so fat people go in, they are traumatized, they're shamed. They leave with a diet plan and they still have cancer or whatever else it is they walk in there with. People are dying is my point Yeah, because of this wellness culture parading around as if it is good for people when really it is simply more oppression, more classism, more stigma and it's killing uh, people. So yeah. there's my fucking rant. I'm angry <laughs> about it. I'm, uh, I'm angry too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm nodding my head like ridiculously over here and just um, ask for my thoughts on that. <laughs> Those are my thoughts. I love it. And this you know, is how I could, serious it is. Yeah, I could say a million things back, but the one thing that I was thinking about is just um, this perspective is so, so different from what people think of when they think of the idea that, you know, is sold to them as health in our culture, which is that anyone can have it if they just work hard enough or if they just want it enough. And you know, right. that single mother who's working a million jobs, well, and you know, doing the, you know, frozen meals, well, she should just learn a little bit about cooking healthier and like find yep. a little bit more time. Like that would be the responsible thing to do. Like it's all about like that individual responsibility. Exactly. Start digging into all this crap and seeing like what's happening. Um, it's really just horrifying what, what's actually going on, you know? Yep. Oh my God. Yeah. And I, I won't, belabor the point because I have already taken enough time to belabor the point but I want to draw a connection that this well, this could be another hour long rant but fat phobia affects all sizes and it's really important for people to know that when that fat person goes into the doctor and has his experiences that directly affects thin bodies too thin bodies will go into doctors offices with issues that are serious and then be pronounced healthy doctors don't do 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 don't do 
due diligence occasionally as well when it comes to thin bodies because there's this assumption that thin equals healthy. So people are being misdiagnosed all over the place. So it's important to share that because sometimes I think it's human to want to know how this personally affects you. So if you're a thin yeah. person listening, um, you if you have body issues, it is because fat people are so hated. Um, once fat phobia is erased, it benefits thin people in that no one needs to have the fear of becoming fat or worry about their body's size in the way that we do. So it affects everyone, but it also affects them affects all bodies on levels like within the doctor's office as well. So it's very, very, very much connected, which is why we all need to be invested in eradicating this. In the next podcast that we do together, we'll talk about how it all ties into racism and why we can't just be focusing on white people. Uh, Seriously, I think that, yeah, we got We got to jump into that at some point. Let me ask you Mm. one question to wrap up. Um, Mm. I like to kind of have the last thing be directed towards my listeners and kind of um, I think it fits nicely to kind of ask, you know, what would your your advice be for somebody who's listening to this and like, they're like, oh my God, this is crazy. I want to do something. Like, what can people do? Like, it, whether they're in a larger body, a straight sized body, whatever, what, what can their role be in this movement? Hmm. I think it depends what your capacity is. So I think that the best thing, if you're, if you're just starting out, I think the best thing you can do is really educate yourself for yourself. Um, learning, reading, read, read every book. I have a resource page on my blog and I have, you know, a bunch of books. Um, educate yourself on all of the different things because it's going to help you and how you view your worth as a human, which by the way, is not related to your body size. Shocker. Not what we're taught growing up. Um, the more you learn about you and the more you liberate yourself, you will then be able to use that to help other people. If you're already at that point, um, use your voice. When you hear body shaming, stop it. When you um, see inequality, intervene. Like, it's just, it's really that simple. Um, And I would just, I would just encourage everyone to follow incredibly diverse voices so that they're hearing, so that we're all hearing all sides of of these messages because there's so much to it um and it's okay if it doesn't all like sink in immediately just being surrounded by it is really important being surrounded by different size bodies in your instagram feed and your facebook and your snapchat whatever uh making sure the diversity is there that does wonders subconsciously it really does train your mind to accept and embrace and love all different size shape abilities and all of that so uh, I guess my in bullet points, you do you work on resiliency and liberation for yourself, intervene and speak up if you can, if you're at that point and diversify your feeds and the information that you have so that you get all of the good stuff that's out there. And you know, it will layer naturally. So just put it in your feed and let it do its thing. Awesome. That is amazing advice. Oh my gosh. And I'm going to uh, link below with the resources on your oh, blog. Great. I think that'd be awesome. Um, yeah. Where There's also yeah, lists of um, social media accounts to follow. So I've made it awesome. easy for people. <laughs> cool. 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 And where can I'll link below for this as well, but where can people find you and what resources, um, what other resources do you have? 
TheMilitantBaker.com is my blog. Uh, has my books linked to it. I also do one-on-one uh, body image and mental health coaching sessions, mm-hmm. um, which has been really fantastic. I've been doing it for a while, and that's JessBaker.com. If people want to hang out with me one-on-one for an hour, um, I do that as well. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Jess. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, that is a wrap on episode 21 with Jess Baker. If you want to find more on Jess, you can find all of her resources linked below her website, her, her books, her Instagram, her blog, all that good stuff. So definitely go check her out. Um, a couple of other things before I wrap up this episode. Um, first of all, If you're listening to this as I release it, I hope you guys all have a really, really great holiday. Hopefully you have some time off um, and just enjoy that time with your friends and family. Um, Second, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, but if you didn't didn't hear it, (laughs) um, I am hosting an intuitive eating and yoga retreat in Costa Rica in February. So it's February 1st to the 8th. Um, If you want to find more details on that, you can go to my Instagram page and just click on the link in my bio. So uh, my Instagram is at the intuitive RD. So check that out. Reach out to me with questions. Definitely let me know anything that you're thinking. Um, And then I also wanted to mention that I'm hosting an intuitive eating webinar January 6th. Um, at 6 p.m. So if you're interested in learning more about these concepts and you really haven't dug into it totally, this will be a really good place to get that information. Um, I'll also allow you guys to ask some questions um, in the time that we have. So, um, you know, you could bring your questions and and get those answered as well. So um, that is something that you can sign up for on my website. Or again, just go to the link in my bio and you'll be able to find um, a link to sign up for that. And it's only $15. So Um, It's a really good way of kind of getting some of this information. Um, I think that's all I have for you guys right now. So again, have an awesome holiday on an awesome break. And I can't wait to chat with you all soon. All right. Bye-bye.